Merry Christmas, Gonzaga fans. Santa is here to give you all six gifts for the Gonzaga Bulldogs this season. Let's get to unwrapping on today's Locked On Zags podcast. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Christmas and happy holidays and welcome into the Locked On Zags podcast by the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. We're having a little fun today on Christmas. Again, Merry Christmas, happy holidays. Shout out to those of you out celebrating with your friends and family. Hope it's been a wonderful weekend for you all today. We're talking about Santa Claus and six gifts he could, should, would bring for the Gonzaga Bulldogs this season. We're going to talk about all of these six gifts, what it might mean for Gonzaga. We're going to take Tuesday off to celebrate the holiday. We'll be back on Wednesday, getting back into the regular routine and getting ready, of course, for Gonzaga's big matchup on Friday against San Diego State, December 29th. So let's start this thing off. The first gift from Santa would be good health to all in 2024. Look, it has been, it is rare for Gonzaga to have a season with this much injury issues. It's something I, I haven't talked about a ton on the show, but I think about a lot. I've talked about a fair amount of times, particularly with friends and family, like Gonzaga doesn't deal with a lot of injury stuff. It just doesn't seem to happen to them all that often. Some of it is just luck. Sometimes injuries are just bad luck and they just happen. Some of it, I'm sure, is a testament to the staff's ability to uh, for conditioning, strength and conditioning, the strength staff, the athletic training staff, etc. But for most of Mark Few's tenure as the head coach of the Gonzaga Bulldogs, they haven't dealt with massive season-ending injuries and, and, and things of that nature. But this year has been very unlucky for Gonzaga in many ways. We'll get to some of them uh, a little bit later, but injury luck is at an all-time low. The Zags had such high expectations for what Steel Venters was going to provide this team from a floor spacing perspective, uh, just from a size perspective, having a bigger guard, having a guard who can space the floor, make those backdoor cuts, do the things that Steel Venters was capable of doing. And beyond that, the, the depth on this team just wasn't great to begin with. They were relying on a lot of freshmen coming off the bench, a lot of guys who, who had never played college basketball, some guys who didn't even arrive on campus until later in the in the fall and the late summer of, of this offseason. And so to have Steel Venters go down with that ACL injury before the season even began is just a devastating blow uh, to start off the season. And it, it pushed Dusty Stromer into a starting role. And, and Dusty has been great. No complaints about Dusty Stromer's performance, particularly defensively. He's still finding his role offensively, but not in a way that is at all concerning or alarming. It's just he's been asked to do more than he was initially expected to be asked and you can see him him running with that well but there's not any depth behind him the guard depth on this team is is cripplingly low and now Luka Krinovich suffers an injury to have a, a full season injury and then also a mid-season injury that takes that's going to take Luka out for four to six weeks I mean it's just incredibly unlucky that both those injuries happen in the backcourt to a spot that Gonzaga already had uh, not a lot of depth for, for Krinovich, you know, the, the playing time may not have been a ton between now and then, but over the course of the time that Luca is expected to miss, if we're assuming he's back sometime in, in late ish January, maybe he can get back into in mid January, but 
two, both Gonzaga's games against Pepperdine and both their games against the University of San Diego in conference play both happened early in the season. That's four games where Luca probably would have got good run. He probably would have played a fair amount against both those teams just because they're two of the worst teams in the conference, games you expect Gonzaga to win by enough of a score that Kranovich can play some first half minutes. He can play eight minutes in the second half, and there's a pretty good chance he misses all four of those games. And by the time he returns, you know, that's when Gonzaga has has both their games against St. Mary's. That's when they have their games against San Francisco and Santa Clara and LMU. And that's not to say that Krinovich won't play in any, any of those games necessarily. I think that he probably will. But the timing is unfortunate that he is probably going to miss the games uh, that he, he might have gotten the best opportunity to play and that Nemhart and Hickman might have gotten the best opportunity to rest. And the Zags, you know, Santa's coming to town. The Zags got to make sure that those guys heal as best they can. We're still not going to see Venters this year, but we should see Krinovich back. Uh, and that the team does not suffer any more injuries. Cannot have Ryan Nembhard hurt, cannot have Nolan Hickman hurt, cannot have Dusty Stromer, anybody really. This team is not deep enough to withstand any more significant injuries, and that's a huge thing uh, to be wishing for for this team this season. Number two, the team needs this magic touch in particular. They need the magic touch from beyond the three-point line. This team has really struggled to shoot the rock, more so than I can remember from any Gonzaga team in the past. And in particular, it's been an issue for Ryan Nembhard. You don't like singling guys out. Certainly a player who, who has played it really hard, worked really hard, uh, has a ton of talent. But Ryan Nembhard's three-point shooting has been awful this season. There is absolutely no other way to spin that in any other way. On the year right now, he is shooting 17.1% from three. It is not a situation of him continually taking bad contested threes. This is not a, well, all of Ryan Nembhard's three-point attempts are with one second on the shot clock fading away. That's not the case. In fact, one of the things I think we can praise about Ryan Nembhard is he doesn't take bad shots. He does occasionally. Most point guards do often because they're forced into it because they're the one with the ball in late clock situations, whatever it may be. For the most part, though, Ryan Nembhard is taking wide open three-point attempts. That is what makes his three-point percentage so mystifying. This man shot 35.6% last year at Creighton. His, his freshman year was lower than that. It was like 31%, something in there. Um, so it's not like he has a, a history of being an elite three-point shooter, but he is not a 17% three-point shooter. He's not. And yet, up to this point in the season, that's who he has been. Whether it is a prolonged slump, whether there is something else going on mentally, whether it's, who knows? Who knows what it might be? But this needs to change. Gonzaga needs him to shoot better. His end of the season number is probably not going to be 35%. He's probably not going to get back to that number. But if he shoots 35% from now until the rest of the year, and that finishes the season at, I don't know, 28, 29, whatever that would be, we will take that. That would be okay for, for us. And the other guards, you know, I, Dusty Stromer's about 32%. I honestly, that's I don't think that's bad. I think that's fine for a freshman. He's been a lot more consistent lately as a three-point shooter. He's taken more attempts per game. Uh, I think we're starting to see that confidence grow for him as a floor spacer, as a shooter, a role, again, that I don't think was really identified for him, but is now necessary because of the absence of steel venters. Uh, Hickman's been pretty inconsistent, but he's at about 34%. He was 35% as a sophomore last year, so he's not really far off Maybe where you'd expect him to be, certainly you would have hoped to see him maybe bump up into the 38, even 40% range. He might get there as the year goes on, but the inconsistency from him has been part of the issue. For Gonzaga, they're shooting really poorly, particularly in the second half. 
I think fatigue plays a role there. Defensive adjustments play a role there as well. And the bigs are solid. Gonzaga's bigs are all decent three-point shooters. Every one of them is over 35%. There's just not a lot of volume there. Graham E.K.'s percentage almost doesn't matter because of how little the volume is. Uh, Greg and Huff don't play a huge role. They play 15, 20-ish minutes per game. Uh, And neither of them are spacing the floor or are, are shooting as much as I think maybe they could. I don't know if the answer to Gonzaga's problems is shoot more threes with the bigs necessarily. The half-court offense isn't really an issue in the sense that they just pound the ball on the rock and they do okay, or they pound the ball onto the block, excuse me, and they do okay. But I do think, like, particularly against UConn, like trying to pull Donovan Klingon away from the rim might have been something that could have alleviated some of the pressure he was putting on Gonzaga's bigs and on Gonzaga's guards who were struggling to get to the rim. That's something that I wish we might see Gonzaga do a little bit more, but we haven't seen a ton of. But ultimately, if there's some magic touch out there that can get Gonzaga back to being a league average or or slightly above average three-point shooting team, I know that would do huge dividends for this team uh, going forward this season. Number three, for those of you who are fans of the movie Elf, there is a scene towards the end where the young son is reading off of Santa's Christmas list to try to convince people that Santa is in fact real. He is reading to a news reporter, Charlotte Denon, and he says that her Christmas wish is for her boyfriend to just commit already. And I thought that worked out well here because Gonzaga has a couple of recruits that they have heavy interest in that appear likely or at least potentially likely to end up in a Gonzaga uniform or at least committing to Gonzaga. And right now it'd be really nice. It'd be really nice for this program to hear some good news on the recruiting trail following the news on December 23rd that Zoom Diallo is not coming to Gonzaga. He is going to go to the University of Washington. Most expected that he would end up at Arizona. It seemed like kind of a late a late flip, a late decision uh, to end up going to Washington. Instead, Zoom took a lot of time trying to make this decision, picking what was right for him. Ends up going to Mike Hopkins' team. People can speculate on why, all that they want. It doesn't really matter to me. Gonzaga knows why. They know if they got beat out from an NIL perspective, if they got beat out because he wanted to stay closer to home, if they got beat out for some other reason. Uh, It sure seems like his style fits more in the Gonzaga or Arizona offense, but hey, whatever that may be. The point is Gonzaga has no players committed in the class of 2024 and no players committed in the class of 2025. I have said this before and I will say it again. I am not overly concerned about Gonzaga's recruiting, particularly in 2024, because Gonzaga doesn't have a lot of available roster spots to be handing out scholarship offers. They just don't. The only player on this roster who is guaranteed to not be on the team next year is Anton Watson. That is it. Will he be the only player? Probably not. Somebody might transfer. Somebody might go pro. Some you know, Things change. Medically retire, as we saw with Caden Perry last year. Things happen. Things change. The transfer portal era has spooked a lot of people into thinking that entire rosters are going to overhaul. And certainly for Gonzaga, losing three players to the portal last year has made that fear even more real going forward. But again, Gonzaga cannot assume that players are going to leave the program. So they can't go out just tossing scholarships at every player in 2024 that they like. They can give them to players that they think are going to be immediately impactful, like Zoom Diallo, like Asa Newell. Those guys picked somewhere else. It happens. Gonzaga sometimes loses on the recruiting trail. Having said all of that, Gonzaga is involved heavily in two players who are currently in the 2025 class. That would be Isaiah Harwell and Nick Kaminia, and they need some wins here. Kaminia in particular. 
He is the 48th ranked player, or excuse me, 33rd ranked player at on three. I think he's 48th in the composite rankings in 2025. He's a four-star prospect. He's a six foot seven stretch four type player. He can kind of play the three, four hybrid, uh, good shooter, good athlete. Uh, he's been involved with Gonzaga for a long time. He took an unofficial visit to craziness, not this year, but last year. And then this year he took an official visit to craziness. He's been on campus twice, has not been to other campuses, at least not in an official visit capacity. All indications are that he's going to commit to Gonzaga. This is the school he wants to go to. The Zags have been involved with him very early on in his recruiting process. On three currently gives Gonzaga 78.5% chance of landing Kaminia. I don't buy their odds too much. They're volatile. They change regularly. They're not always correct by any stretch, but 78.5% odds. Gonzaga is far, far, far and away in the lead here for Kaminia. They're also in the lead for Isaiah Harwell. And this is a bigger story in the sense that Harwell is the eighth-ranked player in the class of 2025, again, at on three right now. Uh, he's a combo guard, bigger guard. He's from Pocatello, Idaho, goes to the same high school as Nolan Hickman. There's a lot to like about Harwell as a player. There's a lot of optimism around his chances of ending up in a Gonzaga uniform again. Uh, right now at on three, he's got 46.3% odds, uh, well higher than any other school in the system. And Harwell could potentially reclassify. That has been discussed with him as well as potentially reclassifying to 2024, joining the team right away next year as opposed to waiting until the 25-26 season. A player to keep an eye on. If Gonzaga were to get commits from both of these players, the narrative would change around Gonzaga's recruiting in a fairly significant way. But right now, with nobody committed in 24, even though they have a pretty much full roster and they love to add via the transfer portal. Let's let's remember, if Anton Watson and two other players leave or one other player leave, they might just fill all those spots via the portal. These high school recruiting classes right now, they're kind of weak. The COVID years kind of threw off our ability to gauge and, and scout these high schoolers. They missed time. Many of them missed entire years of development. Gonzaga is far from the only school that is kind of staying away from high school players right now as they decide to, to build their roster via the transfer portal. So I'm not overly concerned about Gonzaga's lack of recruits, but Kaminia and Harwell are two big targets for Gonzaga and it'd be really nice in the coming weeks to get commitments from both of them. Next up, Zags need a little help from their friends. That would be a huge thing for them. I kind of try to tie this into the movie. It's a wonderful life a little bit of, of looking back and saying like, oh, like, they needed me. They needed my help. And right now, the the teams that Gonzaga has played this season are not helping them out at all. I mean, at all. And part of non-conference scheduling is a little bit luck. You schedule programs that you expect to be good. For Gonzaga, They this is very important to them. They need to make good scheduling decisions in the non-conference because of the potential for the WCC to drag them down. This year, the hope was that a non-conference schedule that included three great games in the Maui Invitational, that included USC, that included UConn, that included San Diego State, that included Washington, that includes Kentucky, that all of that, combined with the continued steady growth of the WCC over the last couple of years, in particular St. Mary's, a team that came into the year ranked in the top 20, all of that should combine to be a really, really solid schedule with multiple quad one opportunities with the kind of resume that you can build while still losing a few games and still build a really quality resume. What are the odds that all of that blows up in their face? 
That's basically the reality that has happened. The Purdue loss is going to age fine. Purdue is the best team in the country. The UConn loss is going to age fine. Yeah, they lost to Seton Hall, and I know that does not look good for Gonzaga. It was a true road game for, for UConn. They lost Donovan Klingon to an injury, and he's going to be out for another month. Now, UConn's schedule in that month is not as bad as it could be. They don't play Marquette. They don't play Providence. They only got one against Creighton, and it's at home. So I think UConn will probably survive the loss of Klingon for a month uh, fairly well. But it's the other games that are the problem. USC and UCLA were two wins that look like they should have aged very nicely for Gonzaga, and they have not. Neither of these teams look like they're going to make the NCAA tournament. UCLA is straight up bad. As I'm recording this right now, they are 172nd, 172nd in the net rankings, 84th at Ken Palm. That is horrendous. Mick Cronin's team is in complete shambles. They did not add any marquee talent in the offseason. They got some international players who have not stepped up into the role that was expected of them. Ade Mara is not that guy right now. Jan Vide, not that guy right now. Mick Cronin is mad. He is unhappy. He's talking to the press about it. It is a messy situation at Poly Pavilion for the Bruins. Same, same with USC. This is program is a mess. They're a mess. They lost to Long Beach State. They lost to Irvine. This team is really really struggling. Bronny James being back might help them as they get into conference play. But so far, the, the early return, they got waxed by Auburn, who is a very good team. But still, this USC team, I think they'll probably make the tournament. They're much more likely to make the tournament than UCLA. But neither of these wins are aging well for Gonzaga. San Diego State hasn't played all that great. They're still a borderline top 25 team. They've had a, a couple of overtime wins, game-winning wins that they shouldn't have been that close. They barely beat UC San Diego. They barely beat Cal. Like, this is a team that has almost has some really horrific losses on their schedule, but they don't yet. Hopefully, that can be the case. And if I'm Santa and if I'm making a wish from Santa, I want UCLA season to turn around, USC season to turn around, San Diego State to blast their way through the Mountain West and end up a top 15 team, which is totally possible. And, of course, for Gonzaga to win that game. Gonzaga can do themselves a massive favor by beating Kentucky at Rupp Arena in February, not an easy game by any stretch, not a game Gonzaga was likely to be favored in when it rolls around in February. But I feel for Gonzaga in some senses because there are certain things they could have controlled about this season so far. They could have maybe had more, found a found another shooter in the transfer portal or, or made some other addition that might have helped alleviate that issue. There have been some coaching stuff that hasn't been perfect that people have criticized, but you can't Gonzaga cannot control that USC and UCLA have completely flopped since those games. They just cannot control that. They won those games. They won the games that they needed to win. The, the loss to Washington hurts, and they could have controlled that. They should have won that game. They didn't. That's really frustrating. But a lot of these things that have dragged Gonzaga's net ranking down, that have their resume not looking good, are outside of their control. Yeah, the WCC is bad this year. St. Mary's just lost to Missouri State. Woof. That is a disaster for a program that has had a season chock full of disasters. But at the end of the day, Gonzaga cannot control that St. Mary's is doing that. Can they control their conference? To an extent, yeah. And they're they're looking, they're looking at the Big 12 for a reason. The Big East, if they come calling, is, is certainly an area that Gonzaga is going to explore. But for right now, there's just not a whole lot they can do. Not a whole lot they can do. Win the games that they can win. That's the best thing they can do. Beat San Diego State. Sweep St. Mary's. Do not lose to LMU or Santa Clara or anybody else in the WCC. Take care of what you can control. And if Every time UCLA loses, if people are lamenting it in the in the in our Discord channel or on Twitter, like you know, there's only so much you can do. 
Only so much you can do. Uh, for Gonzaga, this is just one of those things where you hope for some help. You hope something changes that makes their resume look a little better by the time March rolls around, but a lot of it's outside of their control right now. Number five, I want to see more from the Grinch. More from the, Santa doesn't usually bring you the Grinch. Typically, he's trying to get the Grinch away from you. The Grinch in this situation is Anton Watson. And the reason I refer to that is because the Grinch is really good at doing one thing, which is stealing things. So is Anton Watson. Anton Watson just recently moved in to second place in Gonzaga's all-time history in steals behind John Stockton. Look, I know this one's a stretch, but we're having fun. It's a holiday episode after all. Uh, 1.4 steals per game for Watson. Uh, again, second in school history, has been phenomenal at that throughout his entire career. But for Gonzaga, forcing turnovers and getting steals has been an okay part of their season, but something that I would like to see them do a little bit more. Gonzaga currently averages 7.1 steals per game. That's 152nd in the country, slightly above the exact middle point. Basically, they're slightly better than average at getting steals. In terms of turnovers, their opponents turn the ball over 11.8 times per game. That is 109th in the country. So they are top 30% enforcing turnovers. Granted, half of their games have been against teams like Eastern Oregon and Mississippi Valley State and Jackson State and Arkansas Pine Bluff. Showing the ability to force turnovers and then scoring off said turnovers, getting points off the turnovers, points in transition. This is an area that I think Gonzaga can really help themselves because the outside shots are not falling. The half-court offense is good, but why not get yourself some easy ones? Force a steal at the top of the perimeter, toss it out to a player for an easy dunk in transition. We saw Gonzaga do just a whole bunch of this against Jackson State. And again, uh, quality of opponent is a factor there. Jackson State, not a particularly great team. And Gonzaga was able to turn them over more easily than they're going to be able to do, certainly when they get into the NCAA tournament, but even as they get into WCC play as well. But for Gonzaga to find ways to continue to get turnovers, Dusty Stromer has really active hands. His growth as a defensive player has been excellent to watch. Jun Suk Yo, his growth as a defensive player as well has been awesome. And I'm curious what his role is going to look like. We kind of started to think, okay, he's going to be a guy who plays 8, 10, 12, 15 even minutes per game with Krinovich's injury, with just the, the lack of depth on this roster. And then the game against Jackson State, he didn't even play until the eight-minute mark in the second half. Now he played the rest of the half. So he finished the game with eight minutes, but curious to see whether he's going to actually carve out a more consistent role as the year goes on. Uh, but his his defensive instincts have been excellent as well. And then number six, the final gift from Santa Claus, finding our ability to believe again. I tried to kind of tie most of these to movies somewhat loosely. This is a little bit Polar Express-y uh, for those who have seen that movie of just wanting to believe. And this is more of a gift for the fan base because the fan base is a little bit in turmoil right now. And I don't want to or believe that my role in any way is to tell people how to feel. I will certainly communicate how I feel. And as most of you know, many of you who are longtime listeners, daily listeners, everyday listeners, I tend to lean on the side of optimism. It does not mean I will not be real when things are problematic. And, and again, like those of you who know, my uh, fierce defense of the WCC has kind of fallen a bit this year. The WCC is just not good. And I think it's okay to admit that. Like, hey, we wanted to see them take another step forward. And most of the teams have not been able to do that. For Gonzaga, their schedule hasn't worked out the way they wanted. The three-point shooting is bad. Like, things are not where we typically expect them to be for Gonzaga. But that doesn't mean that, the, that all hope is lost. That does not mean that Gonzaga is going to get a nine seed this year. 
maybe in a it, things could go awry and it could be that kind of season for Gonzaga a season we have not seen from them in a very very long time but also comparing this team to 27 2018 and yes I don't think this team is quite as talented as that team was but the similarities in terms of how the season went are really hard to ignore uh, for the, for those of you who want more information, there's a great thread on Twitter by our guy Stephen Carr, S Cargo on Twitter, uh, former host of Locked On Zags podcast. Before I took over, uh, kind of making the comparisons, the injury comparisons, the calls for Jesse Wade to play more minutes, similar to how folks here have been calling for Yo or before he was hurt, Krinovich to play more minutes. And then Gonzaga went on and won 22 of their last 23 games, earned a four seed in the NCAA tournament. Probably would have advanced past the Sweet 16 had Killian until he not got hurt before that game against Florida State. If Gonzaga doesn't lose for the rest of the season, or even if they win every game except Kentucky, they probably get four, maybe a five seed, maybe a five seed, maybe a six seed if if things really go awry. But if they win the rest of their games outside of Kentucky, they're going to be in that five, four, five, six conversation. They could have that kind of season. It could go awry more and they finish as a seven seed, eight seed, the sweet 16 streak breaks. All that could happen. Absolutely. And if it does, we reevaluate after the year, we lick our wounds, we find ways to replace Anton Watson, and we go back and we do it again. But I just think that the, like, being concerned about that, certainly, again, I don't want to tell anybody how to fan. If that's the, if that's the fear, that's the worry, that's the doom that you're feeling, feel it. That's totally fine. But I think if I was wishing for things for Santa Claus, it would be finding a way to, to feel less hopeless about this season. And I know some people would rather, be less hopeful because being hopeful can lead to disappointment. And I understand that. And certainly if you're somebody who's absolutely under the like, Hey, the Zags are going to win 22 of their next 23, they're going to be a four seed. And that doesn't happen. It's going to, it's going to hurt. I get it. It is going to hurt, but I would rather believe that this team can turn it around. Mark Few is a phenomenal coach. The talent on this roster is there. There are players who are not performing up to the standard. We know they're capable of. It is not, out of the question that this team turns things around and has a solid run through an admittedly weak WCC, but that builds some confidence, that builds some momentum. Some of the young players get some of their kind of find their feet, get get more comfortable with their roles, and this team is cruising by the time March rolls around. Absolutely something that is within the realm of possibility for this program. That's going to wrap it up for me today. I want to thank all of you for making the show your first listen or your first watch of the day, especially today. I wish a happy holidays and Merry Christmas to all of you out there. I, I, can, I cannot do this without you, quite literally. If you're not there, I don't have a show and I don't get to do what I love to do, which is wear silly Christmas hats and talk about Gonzaga uh, on a podcast. And that's what I'm doing right now. And it is thanks to you. So sincerely, thank you. For, for listening to the show, for watching the show, for uh, saying hi to me when you see me at a, at a Gonzaga game, uh, for joining the Discord channel. If you have not done so yet, there is a link in the show notes. It is free to join. would be an awesome Christmas present for me if you came and hung out with us there. I'd love to be at 300 people in that channel before the new year rolls around. We're getting pretty darn close. So if you haven't done so yet, once again, just click that link and hang out with us there. Uh, again, we're going we're gonna to take Tuesday off. We'll be back on Wednesday, though. We'll be talking, uh, getting ready for that San Diego state game talking a little bit about the wcc especially with those additions of oregon state and washington state all that stuff coming up later this week thanks again for listening merry christmas and until next time as always go zags